The following is a presentation of Gallery Church Downtown, part of a family of neighborhood churches seeking to display God's greatness to the world. For more information, please visit gcbdowntown.com. We're reading from Acts chapter 26. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. So Paul motioned with his hand and began his defense. King Agrippa, I consider myself fortunate to stand before you today as I make my defense against all the accusations of the Jews, and especially so because you are well acquainted with all the Jewish customs and controversies. Therefore, I beg you to listen to me patiently. The Jewish people all know the way I have lived ever since I was a child, from the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify, if they are willing, that I conformed to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. And now it is because of my hope in what God has promised our ancestors that I am on trial today. This is the promise our twelve tribes are hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of you consider it incredible that God raises the dead? I, too, was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. On one of these journeys, I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, as I was on the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground, and I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Is it hard for you to kick against the goads? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus, then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day, so I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and, as first to rise from the dead, would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. You are out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I am not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I'm saying is true and reasonable. 
The king is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in a corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for these chains. The king rose and with him, the governor and Bernice and those sitting with them. After they left the room, they began saying to one another, this man is not doing anything that deserves death or imprisonment. Agrippa said to Festus, this man could have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. May God bless the reading of his word. I'm sure that Andrew feels like that is a, um, a, a little marathon of a scripture, but my desire for us today is for us to realize that Paul in this particular passage of scripture is who I really want us to focus on today. I know that in other chapters in the book of Acts up to this point, there have been other characters that I've said, hey, look, we all don't have a Paul calling, um, and so let's not get distracted by what he's going through and think that it transposes over to all of us. And it's like even this past week, I was talking with um, one young lady um, and said to her, you know, some of the scriptures that we read are descriptive and others are prescriptive. And when do we know which one is which? Well, today I want us to take an understanding of saying, I really do think that what Paul is doing here and showing for us can describe how you and I live our faith. I don't think it's just telling us, I don't think Luke is just recording for us actual things that Paul did so that we could just have the historical account. I do believe there's something special in here that you and I could get great encouragement from, almost like as if we're watching Paul and we're trying to mimic his steps for a few moments. And so let me start with this. I'm going to start at the very end of the passage, because as a communicator and somebody that has had a chance to speak in front of people for a long time now, I have had moments where I have been in the middle of my, well, actually not really in the middle of my teaching, what I feel like is the height of my teaching, like the moment that I was building the whole teaching around, and then a little girl walk up to the stage and took my notes off and walked away with them. Um, I've also had moments where we used to have a bar in here. Any of you guys remember that? Some of you are like, you used to have a bar in here? And those of you are like, yeah, we've always had a bar in here. And they're like, wait a minute, it's gone. And, and so, yes, it's missing. It's no longer here. And we used to set the coffee up over here, right? And there'd be times I'm in the middle of what I feel like is the epic moment. And then somebody in the front row would stand up and look at me and just walk right on over and start dispensing coffee into their cup. And then come back and sit down. I'm like, did you not realize that I was like in the middle of the most important point that I was about ready to share with you? And then everybody watched you just walk over and get a cup of coffee. So it wasn't long after that that I got with the staff and the team. I'm like, is there any way we can remove the coffee from the room? And just at least, at least let them walk somewhere else and get out of the space. So there's been moments where you guys might not be aware, but they disconnected them. But one time, even in the teaching, this beeping started happening in the walls over there. And these like fire doors started to want to close, even though they were supposedly not functioning. And they didn't close all the way because that's really creepy. Um, by the way, I've been in the room before and watched those things close. Like, wait a minute, how do we get out of here? But, and, but you're in, I'm in the middle of a teaching, and that's, you know, something just really crazy starts happening. Um, you know, I don't want to always make everything overly spiritual, but 
so many times, right about the time when it's starting to make sense, things get a little bit distracting. Right about the time that people have a chance to really have their listening ears, I really do believe that there are great forces at work in the world that we can't see. Um, And sometimes they do impact the way that we listen or we learn or the things that happen in and around our life to kind of make our life a little bit more chaotic. And so Paul here, I feel like, is at the height of what he's sharing in his testimony, and Festus begins to get a little agitated. Um, It sounds like here that he's just exclaiming with a loud voice, like, really, Paul? Really? Like, he's not here this morning, and so I'm not going to mention him by name on the podcast, but there's actually a gentleman that's been with us since our Life of Riley days, And there were times in the middle of my teaching that he would stop and say, all right, come on, Alice. But he's kind of matured a little bit now. He'll just pull me aside after the service is over. But there was a time when there would just be 10 or 15 of us sitting in this little upper room at Life of Riley's, and he would stop me in the middle of the teaching, like, Alice, all right, hold on. You just said, now that is crazy, right? But Festus kind of has this sound of like, you're getting a little bit over the top here, Paul. But when I started digging into this and looking at what I would say would be people that have studied Greek and Hebrew languages and the old uh, languages, there's actually a strong contingent of specialists in language that think that the Greek words in this passage are more than him just aggravatedly saying, come on, Paul, really? But have you ever been around somebody that snapped and the screech of their voice when they speak loudly? Like, it's almost like as if... You're like, oh my goodness, is that person possessed for just a moment? Like the volume level gets to the point where it's like a teenager in puberty and it's just like the, the, you don't know whether it's to be a high note or a low note and it just comes out. Actually, the Greek language here is actually like as if Festus embarrassed himself by the volume at which he's screaming in the room to settle Paul down. And... So I share that with you because I want you to be able to resonate with the fact that this scripture is real. Like, there's not fake people in this passage of scripture. There's not just some hypothetical Luke is writing and being creative and doing a little version of C.S. Lewis so that you and I can be entertained by some journey that Paul's on. I mean, Luke is giving an account of real moments where Paul is standing in front of people and sharing his faith with them and is beginning to, to, to talk about the fact that, you know what, what Paul faces is things that you and I might face. Like just somebody just might snap in our presence sometimes and just be like, this is ridiculous, this is crazy. I had a moment when I, going back to our life of Riley days when people in the community, when we were starting the church, found out that I was a pastor and we were looking at starting a church. One of the books at that time that had made it to the top 10 bestseller list was The Quickest Way to Become a Millionaire and, and on it was Start Your Own Religion. And, um, and so people were like, oh, wait a minute, you're wanting to start a church in the community? You're wanting to get rich. And I think it's really ironic um, that we're going through some of the things we're going through as a church right now. I want to go back to Life Rallies and say, you know what? Um, but one time we were in the middle of talking about Jesus, and this one lady was just giving it to me, left and right, just hateful things about the church and the scriptures and pastors and all the stuff that she had experienced. And this, and she's like just literally drawing a crowd of attention. And then 
she finally looked at me after like going off for like 45 minutes, um, and, and she just said, what do you have to say for yourself? And this other lady smacks her hands down on the table and stands up and says, don't you say anything, I've got to go pee. Um, and walked out of the room. I'm like, so it's like everybody's like, do we literally pause because she's asked us kindly to wait so she can go to the bathroom and get back and handle this? I just want you to know, like, when you and I start talking about Jesus, some crazy things are going to happen. There's going to be moments where it's just going to be things colliding, whether it's simple as going to the restroom or somebody overhearing it and eavesdropping on your conversation and being like, that's just the most insane thing I've ever heard. Or would you just please shut up or all the different things that could come with that. And Paul is here demonstrating this. But I love the fact that even in the midst of Festus, the governor, asking him to stop, Paul doesn't. And he turns to King Agrippa and he turns all the spotlight to him and he, and, he, and he pushes King Agrippa so much so that King... Because there's so much about King Agrippa I wish we could talk about, but we don't have time. But King Agrippa understood the Jewish scriptures. He understood. That's why Paul is saying to him about the prophets and all this stuff. He had a good understanding about what Paul was talking about. He wasn't speaking to somebody that was a novice. This man had understanding that was beyond what Luke is writing into this narrative just by the reference that Paul gives to him. And I love how King Agrippa, whether wittingly, like... I think he could have been a cool guy to hang out with because it sounds like he could think well on his feet or in some sort of embarrassment like, Paul, how dare you share the spotlight on me right now and switch this over to me with King Agrippa just acting like an insane man. He's like, he says to him, are you thinking I'm going to become a Christian today, Paul? Like the story of the testimony gets to the point at the very end and, and then Paul takes him seriously. Paul's like, you know what? It's my desire that everybody could be like me. And then he holds up his hands and feet, well, except these chains. Right? Like he's like, I think everybody. And here's what I want to say to us as a church this morning. Do you want other people to be like you? Do you, you, you in your faith in Jesus, want to be able to look people in the face and share your testimony and, say, and, be, be, and have a desire so much so, almost like as if you're bound in shackles, but to love them so dearly and be like, you know what, follow me as I'm following Jesus Christ. You know, I love this passion and this energy that Paul has because no matter what his circumstances were, he wanted people to know Jesus despite any of the circumstances that were rolling down against him. And I love how in verse 29... He says, I'd like everyone here to be just like me. Now that sounds arrogant, but what, what kind of posture does Paul have right now? He's on trial being falsely accused, and he's been in chains for how long? Like two years. And so he's standing up in front of them in the midst of two years worth of it, false imprisonment, two years of just writing letters and being basically fed through a grate that probably has him in a hole in the ground where people are taking care of him. And he's standing up in front of them and he's saying, you know what, I've had such an encounter with Jesus Christ, I want you to have the same one, minus the chains. And so what can we learn from this passage of Scripture today? This is, this is, this is kind of where I'd like for us to go. This is the one more time that I referenced a few weeks ago. and That's why I entitled this teaching one more time. Paul now has given, or Luke has recorded, Paul now sharing his testimony three times in the book of Acts. 
There's now been three full accounts, Acts 9, Acts 22, now Acts chapter 26, where Paul has given almost nearly verbatim his testimony, and Luke has written it out again. We now see Acts chapter 26, the red letters of Jesus that were spoken to Saul of Tarshish that became Paul is now actively involved here again. And there's two things that I think that, that we should be able to walk away with Acts 26 today is here, is that Paul never seemed to tire of sharing his testimony. Can I let that sink in just for a minute? Paul probably shared his testimony more than these three times. But when he's sharing it here, is he sharing it like as if he's like, oh man, i got to do this again? He's sharing it like as if it's the first time he, sh- he shared it. He's like, he's so still enamored by the joy of his salvation, by the encounter that he had with Jesus Christ, that he can't help but to continue to give it with the energy and excitement that only is limited by the chains that he's been bound up in. And the second thing, and well, how many years since, approximately, has it been since he had the encounter with Jesus in this trial? Did any of you know historically about how many years? Maybe, how many of you would think maybe two to five years? Anybody five to 20 years, 20 or more years? It's probably in the 20 or more year category. So it's been probably over 20 years since his Damascus Road experience, and he's still singing the same song. And he's singing it with joy and excitement, and it hasn't seemed to worn off. This is what I love. Is second, the second part of this is he seems to know well who he was before he met Jesus, and now who he is because of Jesus. There's an incredible amount of confidence that he is not like trying to use some sort of magic eraser to wipe out his past. He is fully aware of who he was. He's fully aware of the encounter he had with Jesus, and now he's fully aware of who he's supposed to be in Jesus. This is why I love what he says to the church in Galatians. I put it on, we put it on a slide for you today. Galatians 1, 13 and 14. For you have heard in my previous way of life in Judaism how intensely I persecuted the church of God and tried to destroy it. I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own, my, my own age among my people and was extremely zealous for the traditions of my fathers. So he's telling people, like, look, let me tell you about my past. And then Philippians 3, in Philippians 3, 5 and 6, he says, circumcised on the eighth day, check, of the people of Israel, check, of the tribe of Benjamin, check, check. Um, a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, check. In regarding to the law, check. A Pharisee, yes, yes, yes. As for zeal, persecuting the church for the righteousness based on the law. He is just going down his resume of who he was before he met Jesus Christ. And then in Romans chapter 10, not if I didn't need another illustration, he's in Rome talking about the Jewish people there. And he says, for I can testify about them that they are zealous for God. He's not condemning them. He's saying, look, I once was zealous for God the way that they're zealous for God. He can identify why, because it's his story. I've had multiple opportunities this year to serve at the Helping Up Mission down the street, and I would encourage you guys to continue to do so. But many of the men that are ministering to the men in there are former what? drug addicts or alcoholics themselves. Because when you sit down with somebody that has been through what you're currently going through, it's different. It's different. I, 
many of you know my story. I grew up in a home where my father um, and my grandparents struggled with alcohol, and I saw some god-awful things. It's like any time a prince, not like a prince, prince family is my last name, a prince family member got involved with alcohol, the divert, the, the divert, diverted emotion, the default emotion, whatever the word, the emotion that would be present when people had had too much to drink wasn't giddiness and laughter and silliness and streaking around the yard. It was, it was anger and rage. And so I got to see glasses thrown across the house, windows smashed out of our home, and my, my dad's arm, like, hand locked into a car door because he was drunk, and my mom like, well, he locked his keys in the car, I'm going to leave him out there for an hour. Um, you know, I, I witnessed stuff. And so at the age of 18, I just said, you know what, I'm just not going to ever touch it, even have the freedom to touch it. I just don't want to become that. But yet, for me, I feel like I can look in the face of people that had alcoholic parents and say, let me share some of my pain with you. And so Paul here, I want you guys to get this. He is looking at the Jewish accusers and saying to them, I understand. I know why you're feeling the way you're feeling. I know why you Sadducees get upset every time I mention resurrection. And I know why you Pharisees get upset every time I say Gentile inclusion. He's like, I understand because I did what you're now doing, but yet I'm telling you I have searched it all and now I see it coming in Jesus Christ. Paul wasn't speaking about something he knew nothing about. I think that's really a good lesson for some of us. Have you ever ran into somebody that excelled in one area, so therefore they thought they excelled in every area? Some of us have friends that are like that. It's like they're really good at one thing. I know we have some school teachers in the room this morning. Nothing is worse as a school teacher than have a parent coming to a parent-teacher conference because they own a business and therefore they think they know what's best for their student in your classroom. You know, and so they, it's like, yeah, I got a few smiles out of you. You've been there. You, you bought that T-shirt, you know. But many times what ends up happening is, is that you think, well, I'm, I'm financially successful, therefore I'm wise in all areas, or I am a doctor, therefore I'm wise in all areas, or I watch a lot of Jeopardy, so I'm wise in all areas. Um, and so Paul here could look them in the face, not because of something he wanted to be, but he's speaking out of the overflow of his life. So much of this passage, and this is what I want us to resonate with. I don't want us to get lost in the words. You can go back this week and reread Acts 26. I would love for you to read it every day. And I would love for you to just say, Father, what are you saying to me? And then once God says to you what he's saying to you, I want you then to email me and say, this is what God has said to me. And then I want to be able to respond in, well, how can I then help you? Because we have to get to the point where we allow ourselves, like Paul, to share the story of what God has done in our life with somebody other than a Christian. We need to get comfortable talking about this. Paul didn't have to denounce his Jewish roots. I want you guys to hear me when, when you see this. When he's reading and he's sharing this testimony, he's not saying to them, I got a new religion. He's not saying to them, I got a new God. He is saying to them, I have exhausted every single piece of scriptural literature that you have. I have studied it fully. I have followed all of the traditions. I understand all the divisions amongst us. And I am saying to you, it all came true in Jesus Christ. 
And so he's not saying, I want to just do away with all of this. Why do you think at the end, Festus and Agrippa are scratching their heads saying, man, we should be setting him free, but he's made an appeal to Caesar, so now we've got to ship him off to Caesar because we can't let him free now because he's made a legal appeal to Rome. They wanted to let him go because they're like, man, this dude isn't insane. This dude isn't crazy. This dude isn't hurting anybody. This dude has just had an encounter that he passionately believes in and he's running after it. But rather, he was saying to this group of people, look, I still believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I still believe in the one true God. I believe that that God brings change into the world. And he argues that this is the thing that God was talking about to the nation of Israel since the law was ever even given to them. I think there's actually um, three things. I didn't put this on a slide for you that actually shows some of the progression here. He talks about the rootedness and the promises to the ancestors. He talks about the fact that in the synagogue, he could actually use their current worship to talk about Jesus. So he's saying to them, look, I've been in your synagogues for these last 20 years. And in the midst of the songs you sing and the scriptures you read, I can show you Christ. He's not saying to them, you're doing worship all wrong. He's saying to them, in this passage, Jesus. In this song, Jesus. In this hope you have in your faith, Jesus. And he's able to walk them through the things that they were currently doing. And then he went on to say, it is for the hope that I am now sharing with you, that you are now accusing me. Imagine somebody coming up to you and saying, you know what, everything you've ever longed for and hoped for is here for you. Prison! Or I feel like the, uh, the, 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 the weird big-headed lady from that crazy movie, off with the head, you know, what was it? What was, what, uh, yeah, thank you. I didn't want to admit that I'd seen the film, but... Um, <laughs> But Allison, I mean, could you imagine somebody coming up to you and saying everything you've ever longed for and you've ever hoped for has come true and your response is off with your head? I mean, why do you think we resonate with characters like that in stories and movies and books so often? It's because it really does appeal to the nature inside of us. And so here, Paul is dealing with a group of people that did not want to see how Jesus truly had become this surprising fulfillment of everything that they had ever hoped for. So Paul is standing up in front of Agrippa and standing up in front of Festus and standing up all of his accusers, and he's saying to them, I'm not denouncing your faith. I'm just saying Jesus. I'm not denouncing all the things that you've ever done because your motives and your desire has been to follow them with with, with great and, and, and purity. And I used to do it, but I'm just saying I met Jesus. And because of that, it's now all coming. And so he's saying to them, we're not changing for change's sake, but we're changing because God's new world has arrived. And he's saying to them, look, God wants to bring something new into the world, so we've got to put away the old practices. And the old practices of saying Jews on this side and Gentiles outside has to end. They are now full heirs. I mean, the thing is that I think that we don't understand is that we all are heirs to the Father, but none of us get shorted anytime anybody's ever added to the family. I mean, I can't fathom that much wealth that you don't feel it when there's another sibling born, right? I didn't grow up um, like some of the movies about recently um, where they have like this huge penthouse on top of two skyscrapers in Singapore. You know, I mean, I, didn't, I don't know what but unfathomable wealth is like where you could drop $30 million on a wedding, 
right? I don't know that type of wealth. Some of you might. I'd like to talk to you. Um, the, um, uh, but what we end up finding is, is that there, Paul, in his desire for them, is saying to them, look, God is wanting to do something incredible, and he's wanting to share it with everyone, and his resources won't run out. Like, just because you share your Jewish promises with Gentiles doesn't mean you're ever going to feel slighted. That's how much the Lord has for us. And there's, we don't have time to get into it, but I just want you to make note of this. Galatians chapter 3. Paul actually, to the letter to the church in Galatia, writes out more words on the subject in a better way than I ever could talk about it. So just go home and read Galatians chapter 3. And so with that being shared, what we end up finding is in verse 19, it says, So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the vision from heaven. This is what I think hinged the whole testimony. And this is what I think is really important for us in here today. He is saying to King Agrippa that human authority is not what I value. He's saying to them, we must obey God rather than human authority. He's saying here, look, I heard Jesus say do this, and i got to do it. I'm standing in front of you shackled, but Jesus said for me to do this. What confidence is that? That's incredible. He, he, Peter and John, also and other apostles, dealt with this earlier on. Like in Acts chapter 4, verse 19, Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, that we listen to you or we listen to him? And he says, you be the judge. And then in Acts 5.29, Peter again and the apostles replied, we must obey God rather than human beings. Now this is a challenge. If we personalize this just for a moment, there are a lot of human beings that are giving voice to your life about what you ought to be doing. When do you listen and when do you not listen? Can I just say it again, guys? We have to develop a prayer life. That's not just something we do before our meals or in the morning or at night, but actually we carry it to everything that we do. Um, and we have to get to a point where we can say, Father, is this right for me? Should I do this? And I promise you, the more that we join into that, the more vibrant our faith is even going to become. And here's what Paul was confident in. There's two things that Paul was confident in Acts chapter 26. He says, I am to bear witness. I am to be a witness. That's, I know that I'm supposed to do this. There was no doubt in Paul's mind that he was to be a witness of the Lord Jesus himself, to tell people what he has seen and heard and what was subsequently still going to be revealed to him. Like Paul went on mission not having all the information. I want you guys to get this. He didn't wait till he felt like he was fully trained. He went with what he had, knowing that God was going to give him more along the way. And there were times that God would give him something fresh for another group of people, and it built up his faith. Like he wasn't saying to God, God, fill up my bank account before I go. He was saying, God, give me what I need. And then every time that need would come, it would be a, a revelation. Like, wow, God is really with me. He really wants me to be a witness. Look, everything keeps lining up. And a lot of us are stagnant in our faith because we want God to do everything up front. And then, let me just be honest, there's times that God has done that for us, and we'll take a couple of steps, and the first time it gets hard, we want God to perform again. 
And he's like, wait a minute, I gave you your deposit. Now go. And you're like, well, I'm getting too far from my deposit. The other thing that Paul was extremely, extremely confident of is that he was specifically being sent to Gentiles. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 is Paul's heart for Gentiles. He says this, For they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell you, excuse me, they tell you, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. His heart was to turn all the idol worship of the Gentiles towards the one true God. Now, Israel had the one true God, and he was trying to get them to worship them through Jesus Christ, the forgiveness But yet to the Gentiles, they were worshiping lots of other gods, so he was helping them to see the one true God. He wanted everyone to know that their sins were forgiven in Jesus Christ. Can I just ask us a rhetorical question? Do we want everyone to know that their sins are forgiven in Jesus Christ? That's not just for Paul. That's not just for us to read about what Paul did with his life. Some of you in the room have been journeying with us and like, ah, I, just, I don't know if I want to give myself fully to Jesus. I just want to tell you today is the day that you need to do that. Because there is so much that God wants to do in and through you and in and through us to do great good in, in Baltimore and wherever God may end up taking you that we have to just get started. We need to jump in and run after it. He wanted people to understand that their sins were forgiven, that that was great news, and not only were their sins forgiven, there were deeds that they were to live to prove it. I love how when Andrew read that verse out loud, it's like the room stopped for a second. I even heard a few grunts out of some of you like, oh man, that's good. We need to get to a place where we want everybody to receive all the benefits that are available to us. Why would we not want everyone to receive those benefits? So what is Paul's confidence rooted in? Let me share three things with you that I think apply to all of us. He says, I know I'm doing what comes straight out of the scriptures. Paul knew the scriptures. He knew what was coming from the scriptures. Can I just ask us this week, could we spend a a, a little bit more time in them this week? Right now you might be spending five minutes a week outside of Sunday what would it look like for you to expand that? Because we want to be obedient to what God has for us. What would it look like for us to say, God, I want to immerse myself in this a little bit more? I also think that Paul was confident because he had a vision and a direct encounter with Jesus Christ. That is pretty awesome. I don't think there's one of us in here that wouldn't mind having a moment where we're sitting down, you know, watching Netflix, the next thing Jesus appears in a chair across the room and mutes it and says, eyes on me for a moment. That would be a pretty amazing experience. That's not for all of us, but let me tell you this. There's been several times in my life when I absolutely know that God was speaking to me. In one of those moments, and now you, some of you have heard this story before, one of those moments for me was when I went into a crowded coffee shop in the Outer Banks of North Carolina in early 2007 and was saying, God, where do you want my family to move? And we were wrestling over cities in the Northeast to move to, to begin to tell people about Jesus. And there was only one chair. And I'm like, like, this sounds like one of those evangelists that's making up a story. And I'm telling you, it's true, I promise. Um, but I walked into the Morning Star Cafe in the Outer Banks of North Carolina, and, we, and I went into that beautiful little coffee shop with the aroma and there was only one chair in the entire place 
And I went in and I walked up to the guy and said, do you mind if I share this table with you? I just want to enjoy my cup of coffee before I head to the beach. And the guy said, sure. And guess where he lived? Baltimore, Maryland. He was the assistant basketball coach for Loyola's team here in the city. And we had a beautiful conversation. He's like, you want to come to Baltimore to start a church? I think it's needed. And I'm like, do you want to be a part of it? And he said, no. <laughs> so, um, but I, I had a moment there where I was just like, the, the, the Father in Heaven spoke to me through a basketball coach at Loyola University, and then I went and sat on the beach and wept for an hour. So I'm like, all right, God, I know where I'm supposed to go. But this confidence. So even though my family right now is going through a slight trial um, of sorts, I, I know what God wants me to do. There's no, oh, well, um, resources aren't quite what they should be, so I might as well start looking where the resources are. No, it's like this is what God's asked me to do, and this is where I'm supposed to be. And so I can go through a trial with confidence because I know what the Lord has said to me. Can I ask you, do you know with confidence what the Lord's asked you to do so if it gets hard, you'll still do it? Are you moving and functioning in your life in a way that you want God's will and obedience and plan for you to be important and powerful? We need to spend time listening to it. I love how Paul had an incredible confidence in the vision that God had given him. And I also love the fact that Paul just flat out knew he wasn't guilty. I mean, it doesn't matter what accusations were coming his way. He knew. Somebody's going to say to you, because you label yourself as a Christian, oh, you hate this or you hate that, and they're going to... You just need to be confident to know that you don't hate anybody because they're going to assume that because you identify with Jesus that you hate some sort of sexuality group or some sort of people group or some sort of economic group or some sort of educational class or whatever false stigma has been attached to the church. You're going to have to be able to stand in front of people that are falsely accusing you just to test you to see if it really is the fruits of the Spirit pouring out of you and you're going to have to be able to stand there to say, no, 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 no. I am following Jesus Christ. Look at my life. The people around me know that I love them. I seek forgiveness. I serve those around me. And you can label me all you want to, but that is not true. I am a child of the Most High God. I am following after the vision that God has given me. And he's only doing what he's told. I love how Paul is able to say that. He's like, I'm not here in change because I wanted to be. I'm here because God told me to be here. Man, I would love for us to have that type of confidence. So where and how do we get this confidence? I think we need to understand that our sins have been forgiven in Jesus Christ. Most of us, our biggest hang-ups are with guilt and shame. Most of us are struggling with our own self-awareness and self-identity. And so therefore, we just never can fully say, God, use me, because we don't even know what we are. And we're struggling, and we're in a lot of different types of pain. And, and Jesus says, I'm here to forgive you and to heal you and to make you right so you can go do the good things that I planned ahead for you to do. It starts with us accepting Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you to do so. The, the second thing that I think gives great confidence is spending time with the Lord. Can I just say to you guys, could, could you just sit in the daily window, morning, noon, and night for this week, and just see what it's like at the end of the week? And just say, Father, I'm giving you 15 minutes right now, and we're going to hang out, and we're going to talk. You silence your phone, you get away from distractions, and you just say, God, we're going to talk. I'm like, you can say, God, this is awkward. You can say, God, I'm trying to have a conversation with you right now, and it feels one way. 
I feel, I don't feel like you're interacting with me. God can handle that. But let me just tell you this. He will speak to you. And you better be ready for it. Because much like the prophets in the Old Testament, it's not going to come as a thundering loud voice. It's going to be a still whisper and it will light you up. It will come with great power and great authority. And the third thing is, is that I think Paul is as confident in chapter 26 because he was faithful in Acts 9. 20 years ago, he started a practice of obedience so that now he can stand in front of people after years and years and years of obedience and be like, yep, God's faithful. Had he in Acts 9 been faithful and obedient but then screwed up in Acts 10 and screwed up in Acts 11, I don't know by Acts 26 that he's going to be doing much. But he had a rhythm and a pattern of obedience in his life and he was building up some serious spiritual muscle. He had some great endurance and I think it's something that you and I can look towards. It's like, how do we grow in that? I think that you and I need to start by just telling people our story. If there's one command that's in here for all of us that believe in Jesus, it is, let me tell you my story of why I believe in Jesus. We have to learn to bear witness. And once we start bearing witness, I think the Lord is just going to start pouring other things upon us. I was, had a chance to sit with um, a couple yesterday, and obviously they wanted to talk about the letter that went out about church finances and a lot of their concerns and they're, they're like many of you. Um, they don't make much money. Um, and the, 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 the desire in them is like, we want to make a lot of money because we want to be able to give a lot of money. But again, we don't have a lot of money, right? So it's like me saying, man, if I win the lottery, I'll be generous. Like, and you already start planning how to spend it. It's like, man, if I won $260 million, the government takes whatever, I'll get you know, $160 million. Like I'd give 10 to this, 5 to that. I'd, I definitely wouldn't give anything to them. Um, you know, and you go, through, like, you go through the list, like if you got it, right? But that doesn't do any good because it's not what we have. We've got to be faithful with what we have. And be faithful with what we've been given so that we can continue to be generous when we go on. Because one of the things that I've learned in the last few years is that the more commas that hit your paycheck, the harder it is to be generous the more that those zeros start to expand, the harder and harder it is to fight the temptation of thinking somebody wants to take something from me. And if you and I start now being faithful in what we've been given, you will be generous whether you have three zeros in your monthly paycheck or you have five zeros or six zeros or praise the Lord, some of you maybe could get to seven or eight zeros. That'd be pretty awesome. Um, But what would it look like for us to be faithful with what we have? Obedience is us telling our story and being faithful with where we are now and not living in what we hope to be in the future. We need it to be right now. Let's pray together.